0: The bills at any session of the Utah legislature fall into categories. It's more complicated than this. But for the sake of argument, let's say there are three of these categories. The first are the boring but important bills. The budget fits here, the policy stuff. Then there's the nitty-gritty, education and water and taxes. And then there are the message bills, the really controversial ones, culture war stuff. And KUER politics reporter Sage Miller says in the past, lawmakers would mix all of those categories up during a session. Their attention and their priorities seem to be all over the map until 2022. Sage says in 2022, things changed. In
1: 2022, in the final hours of the last day of the 45-day session, lawmakers essentially out of thin air revived a bill – that had died earlier in the session that would essentially ban transgender athletes in public schools from participating in school sports. Thank you, Mr.
2: Speaker. Motion to concur. Motion is to concur with the Senate amendments. Uh,
1: it sent everybody into a frenzy at the Capitol. Nobody expected it to happen. There has been no public process, no public input. And reporters, substitute. policy advocates, transgender advocates, LGBTQ advocates. Friends and friends. Even lawmakers themselves. I rise in opposition of this bill. And the governor.
2: These kids are.
1: Were pretty astounded and sometimes upset by what the legislature
2: did. They're just trying to stay alive.
1: And by 11.59 p.m., on the final day, the legislature passed it. It kind of sent this precedent almost of anything can happen. And the thing that you least expected to happen, did happen. So when the 2023 session comes around, lawmakers kind of take that same formula, rushing controversial bills through, but not in the way that they did the previous year. They didn't wait until the final hours of the legislature. They decided to front load it this time around. And there was two very controversial bills that made its way through the legislature within the first month onto the governor's desk and eventually had his signature. The first one banned gender affirming care for transgender youth. The latest version of the bill still bans gender affirmation surgeries for minors. And And the second one coupled a public teacher raise with school vouchers. It took less than two weeks for this controversial bill to become law. It's called the Utah Fitzall Scholarship. There was a lot of uproar from constituents. There was a lot of uproar from the public. There was a lot of uproar from advocacy groups that there wasn't enough time to work out the kinks in the legislation because there wasn't enough time for a dialogue. There wasn't enough time to underscore what the consequences could possibly be from both of these pieces of legislation. And at the time, House Majority Leader Mike Schultz said This was kind of the plan all along.
3: Majority leaders have told us that it gives them more time to focus on other important issues later in the session, namely the budget. They
1: wanted to front load the legislature with these controversial issues because they knew that if they didn't, it was going to suck up all of the attention from everything else they were doing for the rest of the 45 days.
3: Having these big issues looming over them all session long is really draining as a lawmaker. So,
1: But we did see that it still made people feel pretty uneasy. And part of the process of being a legislative body and having committee hearings and whatnot is the valuable aspect of public comment, which some would say they didn't have the opportunity to do that because they moved through these two bills so quickly.
3: We've had bills introduced in committee hearings and votes sometimes within twenty-four hours in the last couple of years. So there's a real strong push against that. So
1: we'll as we move into twenty twenty four, this session, they've kept that same formula. This session, there was two other controversial bills that they pushed through very quickly. One bans transgender people from using the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity in public spaces. And then you also have a near total ban on diversity, equity and inclusion programs and offices in public schools and in public universities and in public workplaces. I think that they just don't want public comment in their face for a more extended period of time, because once the legislature passes those kinds of bills, they wipe their hands, they're done, heads to the governor. Now it's his decision. If he vetoes it, there's a supermajority to override his veto. He's pretty powerless in that scenario. Lawmakers say this is good. They say this formula is working because it allows us to go to the heavy hitters, different kind of heavy hitters that are not going to get as much limelight. They can pass the budget, and they can just shift their attention to different bills that they know won't suck up public air. But it also raises this question about the democratic process. Is the public being shut out, and are we passing incomplete bills that will come back to bite us in the future?
0: This is Radio West. I'm Doug Fabrizio.
1: Today in the program,
0: we're talking about this year's legislative session. We'll talk about the message bills that lawmakers front-loaded on the calendar, a little bit more about that, and the others, of course, the budget, the nitty-gritty. Joining us is Sage Miller. You just heard her, of course, politics and government reporter for KUER, co-host of the podcast State Street. Hi.
1: Hey, thanks, Doug.
0: Sean Higgins also covers politics and government for KUER, co-hosts State Street. Sean, welcome.
3: Good morning. Great to be here.
0: Robert Gerkey, he's become a regular <laughs> with us. Uh, great to he, be back. Uh, great to be back. Yes, he is, of course, with the Salt Lake Tribune. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. And Holly Richardson, also back with us, editor of Utah Policy, a columnist with the Deseret News. Welcome back to you.
4: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Okay, so let's start with um, – before I get to the sort of front-loading, the, the controversial bills that we just heard about, a bit about, what was the vibe – Sean Higgins, what was the vibe at the legislature this year? Did you get one?
3: I think certainly in the opening weeks was pedal to the metal, for sure. (laughs) I felt like my head was spinning 360 (laughs) degrees, 180 degrees, every degree you can think of for those first (laughs) few weeks. Things died down a little bit in the middle. Things we got to take a breath. And then these last couple weeks, we're hearing that the legislature is a bit behind where they want to be. The boards have been cleared in both the Senate and the House, and, and really all bets are off what can happen in the next 48 hours. So I think we're back to that pedal to the metal feeling that we had in the first couple of weeks over this last week.
4: Holly, what, did you, what was the vibe you got? Same sense? Uh, I, I thought actually it was a little slower at the beginning. Um, by the halfway point, they had passed something like, I don't know, 50 bills and by the end, they'll pass over 500. So the second half, they're going to pass, you know, double or ten times what they did in the first half. But I, I feel like I think this session has been different. It has felt different. It has felt um, less friendly hmm. towards members of the public, towards members of the media, and and I think less friendly towards people on the margins. So uh, especially people who are of lower socioeconomic status, people who are experiencing homelessness, um, I just feel like it's been unkind. Unkind?
2: Robert? Yeah. Perky, did you feel that? Yeah, yeah. I. I I agree with what Holly said and, and I've sensed that from other people I've talked to up there. I, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've seen the walking dead, but everybody's just shambling through the hallways like there because, um, it's been, it's been draining and it's been frustrating for a lot of people, The people who came in hoping that the state was going to tackle some of the big issues it's got, uh, have been disappointed because it's been more focused on sending messages, uh, scoring points for the reelection bids in the, in the fall. And, you know, there hasn't been, um, as, as Holly mentioned, much willingness to hear other viewpoints or take into consideration public input. Uh, they came in on a mission, and they're executing it with efficiency.
0: Um, wh- what do you make of the- Sage? Do you want to say any m- more about that? I mean, we heard from you about the. the gen- but what was your general sense? A- I definitely.
1: I think. I think energy is low. I think people feel pretty. Div- defeated on the Hill this year, especially Democrats. They just say this is some of the hardest sessions they've ever had to wade through. Hmm. And I think there's been leadership changes in the House. So that's something that you also have to maneuver. But I don't think that we can stress enough that it's an election year. And so the 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 session looks different. And as the Democrats put it yesterday, it feels like they're focusing more on the politics than they are on the policy. And if you do look at the bills or the resolutions being presented in front of both chambers, there isn't much substance there. Um, It's condemning certain activities or it's trying to overplay the federal government, but it's not focusing on these heavy hitter issues of Mm -hmm. tackling homelessness. We haven't seen a ton on housing affordability, despite lawmakers saying this is a huge issue that we need to focus on as a state as we continue to grow. And the idea of homeownership continues to fall to the wayside. And yeah, we look at these kind of, I guess, culture war, quote unquote, culture war bills that kind of keep seeming to come in different kinds of ways. (laughs) And so uh, yeah, I think I think this session looks different. And I think that has partly or a good like, pi piece of the pie to do with the fact that it's an election year.
0: Let me ask you a couple of things about the, those two uh, front loaded controversial bills, the transgender bill, first of all. Um, what now with that bill? One of the things there are these questions about how it's going to be enforced. There's all this new sort of legal code. Um, what, what are you expecting now in terms of that that bill?
1: I expect a lawsuit to come into the woodworks at some point on the bill that restricts transgender people from using the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity in public facilities. We know that other states that have passed similar bills have faced lawsuits as well. So I expect that. On DEI, I know something, and this is part of the issue with passing legislation so quickly, is that Governor Cox even said himself that we're going to have to go back and rework this bill. Like, we're going to have to figure out the mistakes. We're going to have to iron out the kinks. And we're going to have to do that next session, but the conversations with public universities and the conversations with state-owned facilities and workplaces—does it really seem like it was taken into account or even into consideration of, of conversations when this bill was being drafted? And so they're saying, "Oh, we're going to pass it now, and then next year we're going to we, we'll fix it." But what but what matters right now is that we got it through the finish line. So
0: do you think this is the template going forward that they're just going to sort of um, sort of rush things, maybe not spend as much time on the deliberation? Part of it. What do you think?
2: Rob? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's the trend we've seen develop. It's worked for them in the sense that they can focus at the last end, at the last part of the session, on things like the budget. If they deal with this other stuff at the beginning, um, it scores them political points, which in an election year is is great for them. I think we should also talk about on the transgender bill, the impacts that's had already that we we've seen, and and midway through the session this time, we saw this uh, issue with Natalie Klein, the state school board member, blow up. Where she singled out uh, a female athlete um, and for scrutiny because of the way she looked, uh, you know a lot of her followers believed that this this girl was not a girl and was playing basketball with high school girls. She was condemned by all of these uh, school districts, and then the legislature kind of had to slam on the brakes middle of the session and pass this resolution censuring her which um, they didn't – there was talk of impeachment. There was a resolution drafted to begin the impeachment that they they didn't pass. But they've over the past several years created this environment where this is allowed to happen. So it's fine if they censure her. But they're the ones who've enabled this kind of behavior, and and it's going to continue because they they have a, a target that they can focus their you know hatred on, and and it's good politically for them. And I think that's a really unfortunate outgrowth of this. And we're seeing again, we're seeing the consequences of this already. There was another incident where a father came out of the stands at a basketball game to challenge another girl's. Uh, eligibility to play, and she was obviously wow. eligible to play. And th- this is the type of environment that the legislature has had a big hand in creating in the state. And I think,
3: like we were all saying, there's there's the legal side and how this plays out in the letter of the law, and then there's the real life practical implications right, as right. well. I think, mm-hmm. like we, we've heard about the Natalie Klein situation and other situations in schools, and another. Uh, a, a scenario is is if someone who is following the the letter of this law to the T may have female on their birth certificate, but be presenting as very masculine. They're going to cause a lot more issues going into that female restroom than if they just went into a male restroom. And I know that the bill, the way it's written, criminalizes behavior rather than just presence in in a space. But I mean, like we just said, the 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 feeling of of the the atmosphere around this right now is what is really worrying and,
2: and just to establish the theme before we move on i agree with sage that there will be a lawsuit on this and there's going to be a lawsuit on several other bills that they passed this session yeah. uh, and they don't care really i mean yeah, I they're, they're they they want to yeah. bring it on you know so they want to they, again they want to make a statement and whether or not that passes legal muster is not really their concern.
1: And I will say that there, that bill specifically, there are some good aspects to it, right? One of the key aspects of that bill is that it increases the construction of unisex or gender nonconforming mm-hmm. bathrooms in public spaces, which is very, very needed, I think, especially if you only have one. You know, and we know that the the there's there's an increase in the number of individuals who are identifying as LGBTQ, trans, or non-binary, and so those kinds of spaces are are needed, and there's also another provision in the bill that uh, like equals out playing time and uses of facilities with men and women sports and public schools. Like those things are very important, but it if you if but you that's want that's not the part people are gonna yeah yeah exactly yeah. like people are not going to focus on those and if. If you want good attention on it, perhaps maybe they should be separate bills. I don't know. Like, don't couple them. Well, I think that
3: speaks to the the increased politicization of of the the atmosphere around this as well. One thing we heard from the Democrats yesterday is – these coupling of issues, it started last year with teacher right. pay and 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 the, voucher. the vouchers. The voucher, yeah. And we had it this year with the bathroom ban and enhancements to Title IX. We had DEI elimination, but student success centers. Soften the blow, sort of. The, the Republicans call these win-win solutions. The Democrats call these poison pill bills right. where it's it's they can't in good conscience vote for Title IX uh, enhancements and banning transgender people from using the bathroom of their choice right. and, and then it that becomes is a, a
4: political yeah. weapon right exactly of, well why do you hate kids yeah why do you hate girls sports why do the democrats right? not like title nine why do
3: the democrats yeah. not like increasing teacher pay and it becomes yeah. an election issue once again
0: let's talk money um, <laughs> sorry to shift gears <laughs> a little bit uh, that's such an abrupt one uh, the governor proposed what was it Twenty-nine point five billion dollars. Where are we going to end up? How did what did how did lawmakers take to the governor's ideas and the governor's plan? Just in general, Holly.
4: Well, I think my general impression is they said thanks for your input as they tossed it in the trash. But, <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't asked the governor. I don't know what he thinks, but that's kind of been my impression. So
3: I spoke with Governor Cox before the session started, and Speaker Schultz uh, specifically about the budget, and they both said. That uh, working with Governor Cox's office has been more of a collaboration than certainly his predecessor, Governor Herbert. So there is some back and forth. But mm. I mean, that was Governor Cox, the session started. Yeah, that's before the <laughs> session started. And ultimately, what Cox is putting out there is a pretty please <laughs> no. suggestion. And the legislature can do whatever it wants, yeah. pretty much.
0: Where did we end up on taxes Hundred and seventy million? Um, yeah,
2: they're gonna they're gonna reduce the income tax by 170 million. It's about a tenth of a percent, roughly sixty dollars a year for you know the average household. Um so not a huge reduction, but you know, they get to go back to their constituents and say, hey, we cut your taxes again. I think this is the fourth year in a row, maybe fifth that they've that they've reduced taxes. Um they also passed an expanded child tax credit which will help families uh it it's it's small but yeah, it's uh, small. it could be it could be meaningful to some people but yeah this the ta- the tax cuts are Something that every year they they keep coming back to. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that that $170 million tax cut is $170 million they took off the table for dealing with issues like we talked about with affordable housing, homelessness. Child care is a big one that they they didn't really address. Um, Water issues kind of got lip service but not much in funding. Um, And so, you know, like I said at the outset, there were big issues that they said that they were going to deal with. I'm not sure that they've necessarily put their money where their mouths are. Since we're
0: talking about money, what can you say about the sort of uh, trajectory, the process of this debate about committing money toward the construction of a sports stadium, a sports arena. Like Sean sh- Higgins, get us started with that. How is that going I, to pl- play out, do you think?
3: I think for a legislature that is so obsessed with cutting taxes over the last five years, it's a little bit of whiplash to see them all get behind tax increases to pay for right. this shiny object that mm-hmm. might not even be built. Like, let's be honest here. The, the NHL and MLB have said that they have no active plans – right now to expand but they're open to the conversations i think but it's years away yeah years away we're talking five years maybe before this process starts so i think utah has a strong case for teams to come but when it comes to to taxes and how to pay for this it, it is a little interesting to see these uh Fiscal hawks get behind (laughs) tax increases. Well, it's
0: interesting. Sean, you were reporting that uh, the Democrats have been, as you put it in your piece, largely supportive of the idea too. So it's across the board support. Of just MLB.
3: I've just MLB. Yeah, I, I think the, the Democratic caucus officially as of yesterday has no stance on the NHL stadium right now, since I think that one is still moving through the process. Yeah. Some substitutions may be made. But when it comes to the MLB bill, there is a lot of Democratic support to reinvigorate the west side of Salt Lake City. That's downtown Salt Lake City area and like the expanding suburbs are really where the Democrats are in this state. So anytime there is a significant amount of state money come to reinvigorate, revitalized portions of that area. I think Democrats will get behind it. Um, I think there is some uh, support for spreading out those tax increases to outside of just the Salt Lake City area with the transient room tax, things like that. I know there has been quite a bit of pushback from off of the Wasatch Front yeah, yeah. Um, as far as that is concerned. Southern but, Utah, so, I'm
0: not crazy yeah. about
4: it. So yeah, so the with the baseball stadium, they removed the transient room tax um, when Representative Wilcox subbed that on the floor but but you talked at the beginning about controversial bills at the beginning of the session. I think th- this could qualify as one coming out at the end of the session it 's bill number five hundred and something right It came out it didn 't have enough time to even have an official Senate committee hearing. It did have one, but it was so quickly um happened so quickly after the House hearing um full house that they couldn 't take action on it, so <clears throat> they did remove the transient room tax, and they had a number of people from the rural communities saying, you know, I was a hard no before this change and, you know, now I'm okay with it. But yeah, I mean, how how are you going to fund this? And it's the – I think it's the concept of if you build it, they will come and we're hoping – we're hoping that they come and um, part of the funding would be on rental cars uh, after the stadium is built. So – Maybe it'll work out.
2: Um, Sort of to echo what Sean said, I'm still interested to see where the hockey bill ends up because Ryan Smith, uh, owner of the Utah Jazz, the guy who's trying to get the hockey team here, was up at the Capitol yesterday making the rounds with Mayor Mendenhall. Uh, and and Salt Lake County Mayor Jenny Wilson to try who, to, who are
0: all in who who are, are supportive
2: of this and have been very engaged in it. One of the things they like about it is the city maintains control over where the district is, where this sports entertainment district is, and they're the ones who assess the tax, and so they maintain more control over it than they do with the baseball bill. I think with both of these, it's important for both the Millers and Ryan Smith to get this package put together so they can go to the NHL, go to MLB and say, hey, look, we have a funding package in place, it's ready to go. Just say the word. We've got a, as soon as we've got a team, we can start work on the stadium. Um, there's there is another distinct difference between the two, and, and one is that the the state will own the baseball stadium, um, whereas the Delta Center, if the plan is presumably to remodel, renovate, or demolish and replace the Delta Center, uh, they, the state or the city would not necessarily own that. So there, are, these are the things that are still being fine tuned. It is remarkable, though, to see the. Utah legislature who opposes corporate welfare and uh, come out with a billion dollars just throw a billion dollars on the table <laughs> at the drop of a hat and you get all of these representatives and senators who have just talked so fondly it was like watching field of dreams hearing them talk about how they you know how reminiscent and nostalgic they got about watching baseball with their dads, you know, and they want that for their kids. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's on a level that we've never seen before in this state. When we got – when we brought Real Salt Lake to Utah – um, it was $35 million is what they got. You wow. know? So orders of magnitude smaller. But I think the other thing that Salt Lake – the Demo- I think the Democrats, the Democratic Caucus in Salt Lake City and Salt Lake County like about this bill is it does potentially keep the Utah Jazz and – if there is an NHL hockey team and a baseball team all in the core of downtown Salt Lake, there was a lot of talk coming into the session that they might move at least one of them uh, and possibly two to the south end of the valley because that's where their growth is. And so now, now that seems like that's off the table if they if if they want the money. If they want the subsidy to build this stadium, they need to stick downtown, which is why they th- think this could re-energize the west side of downtown. I actually
1: don't know what they got to do at this session. You know, like, I don't, I don't get why like this, these two bills can't go into interim. Why they can't have oh. more conversations with stakeholders? Why they can't do X,
4: Y, and Z? Things. Well, so what's the rush? What is the rush? Yeah, they say. I, I think there's two things actually. So it's an election year, right? But I, I think there's it's also that. the yeah. ongoing conversation with uh, both the MLB and the NHL because it's, it's a, it's kind of a long on ramp, and they have to start the conversation and. S- some people wonder if the conversation has already been started kind of behind closed doors and that the legislature needs to deliver because the conversation is already ongoing. And we're not
3: the only cities who are looking for That's these right. expansion teams, especially with baseball. There's yeah. a, a hot pursuit right now for the next baseball team. And,
2: and like I suggested, they, they want to be able to go to MLB and NHL with a package in place. Yes. But this is the trend all over the country and, and you know between 2020 and 2023, more than 19 Point three billion dollars went into sports stadiums and public financing. Uh, most of the research on the topic says that it's a it's a loser deal. It doesn't actually pay off. It just moves economic activity from one part of the city to another.
0: Okay, we need to take a break. Yeah, Robert Herkey, of course, with the Salt Lake Tribune. We have Holly Richardson, editor of Utah Policy. We have Sage Miller, politics and government reporter for KUER, and Sean Higgins, also of course, covers politics and government. So let's talk about water and uh, th- the lake. Um, Robert Gerke, you've called it a mixed bag. You start.
2: Well, I, yeah. I mean, it's a mixed bag in the sense that in in the last couple years, they've done most of the easy things. Um, this year, they seem to not necessarily put a lot of money into it. Uh, we're trying to find some policy tweaks that they could do um, it maybe ease eased some of the things eased off on some of the things that they 'd done before um, <clears throat> there was there There was legislation to sort of incentivize uh, landscaping that I think passed i can 't remember if it was funded though i don 't remember if it 's been funded yet this is the thing that we 're dealing with at the end of the session when they 're still trying to put the budget together mm-hmm. um and then there, the, the big piece of legislation, I think, that passed on the waterfront was one that Senate President Stuart Adams and House Speaker Mike Schultz sponsored called generational water infrastructure. Um, it's looking at things like – They
0: have the most boring names for yeah. They all sound yeah. the same. <laughs> <laughs> it, they, That's
2: but on they, purpose. They, they basically want to create this entity to – Strat- strategize about the future of dams and pipelines and resort. well, it
0: did have a grand. He did have a grand way of talking about it. He said he wanted to restore what was it, Sage, the hundred year vision for
1: for right? the future generations yeah. that yeah. are
0: coming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: And so, you know, they're thinking big. Um, you know, they but we've also seen the way they think big sometimes is in, you know trying to pipe water in from the ocean, which is you know. <laughs> economically infeasible. But the, one of the things that just before we move on really bothers me about that bill is it does exempt this entity from the Open Meetings Act yeah. yep. so the public mm-hmm. can't see it and it exempts it from the Open Records Act. So trying to find out what they're doing or who they're meeting with yeah. or who's influencing them, whose money is being you know thrown around in here uh, is not going to be something that we're going to be able to do.
4: And that's been a theme this session. let's, the, say. let's yeah. keep Let's keep things out of the public eye.
1: I will say on the the water, the water bill that Stewart, uh, that President Adams and Speaker Schultz were working on, is that they're not necessarily looking. They're essentially trying to find new water outside of the state. Mm-hmm. That's the whole goal. It's taking the four largest water districts in the state and having them essentially come up with a plan to figure out how we can bring water in from other states. Uh, he – by he, I mean Adam says that it's not really looking at the Lake Powell Pipeline and it's also not looking at the Bear, Bear River Development Project.
0: But really? <laughs>
2: it's not, it's not That's expressly what he says. dedicated. It's to not
1: expressly purpose. dedicated, but I'm sure that those conversations are going to be in the woodworks. And well, again, the public that not going USAID to that.
0: that uh, President Adams said that Utah was focusing too much on the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Not this l- larger vision. I don't know what that means.
1: So we're focusing right now too much on conservation and the on uh, the the present problem yeah. of water shortages and the lake and whatnot that we're not thinking about future generations that will eventually you know call Utah home and where water could be even a more scarce source. Then. But what does he
0: mean by that? What does he mean that we're focusing too much on conservation? Like what what does that mean? And do you have a sense of that?
1: I think it's more so just this this framing of how the state was founded and how when like Brigham Young first got here, they started setting up reservoirs. They started p- preparing and thinking for the people that were eventually going to homestead in the state of Utah. And he's saying, "We're not doing that now. We're not carrying on the legacy of the ancestors and the founders of the state." And as a fifth-generation Utah, Adam says he says he says that's important to him, and he wants mm-hmm. to make sure that that legacy continues. And I think this 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 bill, the the four water districts don't really have any power aside from having conversations and they have to report that back to the legislature. But I will say is that exempting them from grandma requests and it is very much so a lack of transparency and how Adams kind of uh, justifies that is saying – Water is a very touchy subject for a lot of people. So we need to carry on these
0: negotiations in private. private. We can't say the stuff in public. Well, I want to say more. Sean Higgins, I don't know if you want to say anything about this sort of this larger question of governmental accountability because as Holly mentioned, this came up a few times in the legislature. I
3: mean, I think talking to Sage's point about how water is a touchy subject for a lot of people, particularly agricultural, uh, farmers, um, um, municipal water is very touchy as well. Uh, certainly, every time we have a conversation about growth we all it 's also a conversation about water in, in Utah, and I think that kind of speaks to the rhetoric we 're focusing too much on the moment, kind of a thing we need to have a more long term view on this. There is a real worry among some of these stakeholders that we 're doing way too much, way too fast, and we need to slow roll this a little bit mm-hmm. um, so I think it 's a little bit kind of playing both sides of the of the fence here where there are people to who desperately want to see the state take action on, on, on its water plan. And then there's another sector that is happy with the status quo, quite frankly, and, and not having – much incentive to change the the way of doing things, and we've seen various carrots over uh, the years with funding uh, uh, agricultural enhancements to help uh, minimize the loss of water, um, other incremental changes. Um, but I think this this rhetoric about focusing too much on the moment is is really kind of nodding to the people who have the most concerns about us potentially in their eyes, moving too fast on this. Being being too progressive. Being too progressive, And you
1: talked to Brian Steed, the Great Salt Lake commissioner, who essentially said, like, we don't know where any of this water is. And everybody in the West, it's a very precious resource to them. So even undergoing these negotiations to try and stifle water and import it here or figure out some kind of deal with other Western states to, you know, trade water, it's quite a big undertaking. So good luck.
2: I would say there is a little bit of merit, though, to not focus on is the lake up a foot or down a foot is lake powell down 2 feet or up 2 feet do we have 120% of the snowpack or 80% of the snowpack cuz that's year to year thing if if we need if we're going to actually do this and address the biggest limiting issue to our growth and economic prosperity in the state we need to do it on a longer term plan and and that means that means looking strategically at this.
1: I do think I would categorize the water bills that are coming forth, or at least a good chunk of them, as looking towards the future, not towards the present. So it looks like they're trying to get ahead of the ball a little bit, more so than trying to fix the issues right now. Because they did focus two years, essentially, on what can we do right now? What plans can we put in place? And those need time to see if they even work. And we've seen some changes where they've reverted back to water policy because they're like, oh, we're going like, to throw a noodle to the wall and see if it sticks. And then it doesn't stick. And so they go, OK, we're going to change the law back. And so that's kind of where they're that's where they're at right now. It's trial and error. Water's hard. Water's very very hard.
0: Yeah. Oh, was, uh, let me ask you about uh, education, Holly. One of the things you pointed out in your writing is there was something like I think it was eighty education bills. Uh, it's up to
4: one hundred and twenty three. One hundred and
0: twenty three. <laughs> so, yeah. w- what's your assessment of what lawmakers did or may not have done for education?
4: Uh, One of the things that's really good, I think, is Representative Karen Peterson's bill that has passed all the way through the process and is funded in the Executive Appropriations Committee budget um, is student teacher stipends. So what was happening is student teachers were getting their coursework done, but they have to still be a student to do their student teaching. And they were stopping their educational path to go work and earn money so that they could do that last semester. So they had to pay tuition and they couldn't really take a job, although some were trying to do nights or weekends. But it's full time doing student teaching and lesson plans and things. So her bill says um, $6,000 stipend for um, teachers, student teachers for the semester that they teach. So um, I think that's a good one. There there are a a lot of bills. I think one of the things with the DEI bill at the beginning of the session – Talked a lot about higher ed. We did not talk about its impact on K through twelve. Hmm. Just a, almost not a non-existent right conversation. Even though that is included in the bill, and so people don't know what does that mean for a classroom. Right? We've got bills. It, it is something you think about mostly for public universities, right? right? But they've extended it. They've yeah. expanded it quite a bit, and so so you have that. But you also have a bill going through. Um, maybe it died yesterday. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> the Ten Commandment bill. So that bill. Um, was one that said it started off as you shall display the Ten Commandments and then it morphed into the this is one of the historical documents you can talk about in your classroom. Um, there was another bill and, and let me
0: mention one incentivizing teachers to uh, to carry and store their guns at schools. Yeah, that one's moving. Yeah, still, still moving. What uh, about the resolution condemning abusive coaching practices? Did yeah, that, I think
4: did that one passed. I think that one did pass. Yeah. we oh. You shouldn't abuse your kids when you coach them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the Ten Commandments bill is in the Senate. So. Okay, what does that mean? It's, it's stuck
4: in the Senate. It's in rules right now so with the could, Senate. So it could so pop they out. Could, in the it could, yeah, yeah, it could pop out. out. So, but the, it did pass the House. Yeah, yeah. but the uh, one, that, the one that did die. Sorry, was the was the one that said um, teachers have to be neutral. So you can't.
3: Like display a pride flag in your
4: classroom. Right. 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 People talk were about calling it political. Utah's
3: version of Florida's Don't Say Gay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which, which
0: gets died. us to this uh, objectively sensitive material, yeah. Bill. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say something about that?
2: Um, you know, it's, again, a great election year uh, tool for them. They're going to make it easier to take books off shelves. Um, which is an issue that now is you know swept the nation, and Utah Utah conservatives are enraptured with it, and and so yeah, they're gonna they're gonna keep pushing that direction. <clears throat> They, they're expanding um, vouchers. Remember last year they came in and said, well, this voucher thing is a pilot program. We want to see how it goes. And then immediately came back before the program had even launched and said, there are way too many people want this because the, all of these private schools in the state had told their parents to go say that they want this um, because they want the money. So they wanted $150 million. They're getting about $40 million in expanding the voucher program. But you can anticipate that year after year after year they're going to keep coming back and trying to grow that that's what we saw in Arizona when they passed a quote unquote pilot program mm-hmm. It blew up and and you know grew rapidly so so that's something they they they're putting some money into school safety, um, which uh, Ra- Representative Wilcox has worked on for over a year now um trying to trying to make some steps uh, on the on the school safety front. Um, Did teachers get a raise? There's a, the teachers got a raise because there's a 5% increase in per-pupil spending. Most of that does end up going to teachers. There is also an interesting bill that Senator Lincoln Fillmore was sponsoring that would give these bonuses to teachers. Um, he wants teachers to be able to make you know up to $100,000 a year by the end of their career to try to keep these teachers in the business for a longer period of time. So this is some sort of targeted bonuses to teachers who have stuck with it for for a period of time.
1: And I I will say on that, right, I think teacher retention, especially when it comes to pay, is a very big issue. And teachers have vocalized kind of their frustrations with living paycheck to paycheck while also taking care of hundreds of kids a day and trying to educate them. But also you have these bills like the sensitive material laws, like the Ten Commandments, like the teacher neutrality that also makes their job very, very hard to the point where they do want to quit because they don't know what they're allowed to teach and they don't know what they're not allowed to teach. Mm -hmm. And even if they frame a lesson plan wrong, that can spark a whole investigation on that said teacher. And at that point, you kind of sit there and weigh... What is what's the cost benefit analysis of this job? Like, should I stay here if the job is making it harder for me to teach? I don't care that they're giving me more money, but I don't know what my guidelines are. I don't know what the guardrails are. I don't know (laughs) what is going to get me in trouble. And we've seen that happen in other states where teachers have just thrown up their hands and said, I'm out. I can't do this. And so at what point does it become too hard for a teacher to do their job, no matter how large their paycheck is?
0: Sage Miller. She's a politics and government reporter for KUER. Sean Higgins also covers politics and government for KUER. Robert Gerke is with the Salt Lake Tribune. Holly Richardson is editor of Utah Policy. I want to ask about um, energy. This is something that uh, Republican leadership have said this is going to be one of their top focuses. but Sean Higgins, in your reporting, you've been asking what what do they mean by that, energy independence? So give us a sense of that and what happens or is happening up there in terms of that.
3: The short answer is energy independence means many different things to many different people. And it sounds like what we were hearing from the legislature is, in simple terms, Utah wants to produce more energy than it consumes. So in the event of a nationwide energy crisis – Utah has enough domestic energy to keep the lights on. We're not dealing with rolling blackouts, things like that. Um, it doesn't seem to necessarily mean that Utah will be only using um, energy produced domestically because that uh, everyone who testified in, in committee on these bills, they, that is a surefire way for rates to go up and everyone to be paying more. Um, it sounds like, when, particularly when it comes to the, the coal bills we saw, it, it could be a little bit of that politics playing in to to this debate, but they kind of charged full full steam ahead, forgive the pun on on that <laughs> um, with protecting and bolstering Utah
0: preserving the the industry of coal. preserving
3: the industry of coal yeah. um, we 've seen ePA regulations over the last year um, put much stricter emission standards on on power plants, and that has Um, Some people say forced Rocky Mountain's hand in Rocky Mountain Power's hand in in closing their two coal-fired power plants here in Utah. Talking to energy experts, those plants are going to close anyway in the next decade or so just with the way the market is moving. Renewables are becoming cheaper and cheaper to produce. And coal is a finite resource. And eventually there will be a tipping point where um, it is not worth it. To from an economic standpoint, to operate these these facilities, and and speaking with people who have knowledge of, of the situation, there's also a, a social side of this as well. These communities in in Emory County have relied on these jobs generated by these, by these power plants for generations. These entire communities are, are hinging on the economic output um, of, of these plants and the jobs they bring in, the, the people, the families who have built their lives around these communities. So there's the economic argument, but there's also the, the wonder of what will these families do in 2030 if, if their jobs go away? There's Is some- anyone
0: talking about that?
3: On the peripheries, yes. We haven't seen legislation that specifically deals with this. I think Representative Jack's – Representative Colin Jack's bill on coal kind of indirectly affects that. Mm -hmm. It would prop up um, um, some of these coal-fired power plants who are being forced to close because of these more stringent EPA regulations. But – if I am Rocky Mountain Power, I have to look at my bottom line at at some point. And, and they do have a, a plan in place to retrain employees who want to stay with the company and help them relocate to a different place. But if, if you have family and friends for the last 20 years, that's a huge life decision to make. And, and I have to imagine that quite a few of those people will say, no, thank you. I'll take my severance check and, and go somewhere else or stay
2: or stay put. What did you notice about the focus on energy? I mean, I think the most fascinating one to watch has been the Intermountain Power Project and the machinations that are going on to try to keep that coal plant from closing down. This is a plant that sends most of its power to California. It's slated to transition to first natural gas and then a hydrogen plant. But the state wants to replace the board um, with legislative members to oversee that and steer the project. They want an option to purchase the plant uh, or give somebody an option to purchase the plant to keep it open, which frankly is pretty impractical because they'd have to get it on the grid. It, since all of power has been going, been going southwest for so long, they would have to turn it around and build new power lines. They'd have to build new coal ash ponds. They're going to get sued because it's a quote-unquote taking. And so, you know, the, but but they're – Sort of plowing ahead full steam, as Sean said, uh, to try to keep that open. And and you know, it's it it is economics that are driving this, and mm-hmm. they're trying to you know hold back the ocean. I think by by with some of this stuff.
0: Let me shift gears uh, to. Ch- I want to talk about child care. This is something you don't hear a lot about, oh. um, but. Uh, there's a a sort of a child care crisis that lawmakers at least have been
4: talking about. Holly, you want to say something about what you're seeing up at the Hill over there? Yeah, I see a lot of talk and I don't see a ton of action. So um, Senator Luz Escamilla had a bill and her proposal was to say you can take – this is a public-private partnership. You can take a vacant state building and businesses can work to retrofit it to make it a licensed daycare facility or child care facility. And – um, it had broad support. It had unanimous support in the Senate. It came over. It had only two no votes in a House committee came up for discussion yesterday with um, Representative Robert Spenlove last night after nine o'clock. Total time of discussion and the vote was four minutes and the bill was killed. And that's it. So the, the two people who spoke against the bill said, this is a nice idea, but we don't think it's going to work. And that was that was it. <laughs> so so that bill has been killed. Um, there was another bill yesterday that passed all the way through. And this one is um, Susan Pulsifer's bill that would allow for up to eight, unli- um, eight children in an unlicensed daycare facility or a home. Hmm. Um, you don't have to be licensed. You do now have to get a background check. And they've limited the number of children under three to two instead of three. But it's Somewhat ironic that it comes – it passed the day after a woman was arrested for child abuse for uh, uh, an injury that happened in her unlicensed daycare. So that was the concern for people who were opposed to that bill. But but that's – I mean I think that's one of the issues, right, is we're not seeing a lot of actual policy being passed. Yeah. You have to I, mean, to say yeah I
2: mean I think it kind of goes to what we were saying, the broader trend. The big issues that they could be addressing, they're not. And so, they and and there's this also this trend, I think, of the legislature wanting to do things to people rather than for people. And this is an example of that. I mean, we have we know we have a child care crisis. We, it's unaffordable. It keeps people out of the workforce, Him, hampers economic development and activity, um, and it, it's one that we know how to address. But they chose not to do so. Uh- what about sh- – sh-
0: uh, Sean and-, and Sage, both of you, I wanted to get you on the g- housing, homelessness. The-, the-, the governor had this budget recommendation for lawmakers, $186 million for battling homelessness. What? How did that
3: all play out? In the we heard structure? a lot of talk before the session started on these two issues. Housing in particular has been quite sparse yeah, as I of really right now homelessness. I know, Sage, you followed some bills on the homelessness front. It seems that they're slow rolling that issue, too. But what we're seeing as far as output from the legislature does not match up with, with the talk we were hearing before the session started on the urgency of these two issues, for sure.
1: Yeah. And the, the bills that I've seen go through, I think there's there's three major ones. They don't have a large fiscal note, if any at all. I think the biggest one deals with just restructuring specifically who gets access to shelter beds overnight shelter beds first and under that bill and i forgot the lawmaker that um is sponsoring it but i'm sure it'll come to me um elison representative elison he wants people who are leaving the state hospital who are unsheltered to get first dibs on these beds Mm -hmm. and they also want uh, in family shelters people who qualify for a federal program it's i think it's TANF, TANF, Mm -hmm. um, to also get first dibs. And the issue with, I think, the latter that we've heard from unsheltered advocates specifically says that very much so excludes refugee families because they're not going to have the 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 correct documents in order to get access to these shelters first and foremost. And so the, and, and I from um, homelessness advocates that I've spoken with apparently that's the largest population that are utilizing family shelters are refugee families and so
4: But they passed a re, they passed a resolution supporting refugees. Mm. Yeah. So, I, I see so make resolved. it make sense.
1: But <laughs> – so that's – the, the why, why pass I mean, a bill
0: when you can pass a resolution? Is yeah. that, what you think?
1: And so – and it's also kind of dealing with what state hospitals can do if they do have a homeless patient that is getting discharged. And yeah. we heard some pretty heart-wrenching stories about the state hospital saying like we just had to leave them on the curb. Like quite that's literally terrible. Yeah. Them, like, leave them on the curb.
0: We have a minute left. What What's left? Anything hang in the balance? What are you expecting? Is it going to be crazy yeah. to,
1: to – yeah, OK. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I think all bets are off over the next Mm -hmm. 48 hours. All rules are suspended. Yeah, (laughs) all rules are suspended.
1: There are two really big kind of child abuse bills that I've been following, and I really hope that the Senate at some point is able to get to them. One deals with clergy reporting abuse, and the other is essentially a pretty large overhaul to child custody proceedings in court. So we'll see where those go. A lot of work has been done on them. They have pretty unanimous support, but we'll see what the Senate does.
2: Yeah. yeah, go ahead.
4: I, I just think one of the things that has been positive is some of the some of the work on crime victims and trying to get the right support in the right places. So I, at least there's one positive. Yeah, word. I'm
2: interested in seeing where the hockey uh, arena ends up because they're still working on that, and there's been some good work on behavioral health uh, services, and and hopefully they continue on that front.
0: Robert Gerke with the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, K, we are Sage Miller, co-hosts our podcast State Street along with uh, Sean Higgins, Holly Richardson, editor of the Utah Policy, a columnist with the Deseret News. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very you much. Good luck. Pleasure. Good luck. Godspeed. <laughs> God go. Godspeed. Radio West is a production of KUER. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can email us with ideas or comments or feedback at Radio West at KUER.org. The program is produced by Benjamin Bombard and Tim Slover. Carrie Watson, our executive producer. I'm Doug Fabrizio.